1: Hi, welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan. Here we talk a lot about how we can be proactive in our health so we can give our bodies what they need to grow toward optimal health. Today we have a guest who's been dedicated to helping people get well for a long time. I met him at a meeting and I was very impressed with his basic skills in assessing health status and how to improve it. His name is Roderick Lane, and he's been helping people with natural medicine for almost 40 years in London and in Jersey in the UK. He studied at the Howell College, the Shendo Institute, and studied classical Chinese medicine as part of his martial arts training. He specializes in endocrine issues and fertility. Endocrine issues can cover a multitude of different problems and symptoms, so they're very important, and our different endocrine systems are intimately connected. He's a co-founder of the London College of Natural Medicine, which is acknowledged as offering one of the best naturopathic trainings in Europe. He has an interest in developing natural nutritional products that can assist with our healing and have massive influence in multiple conditions. He also has a thyroid care Facebook page where he has helped many, many people help with, with the thyroid issues. So uh, welcome, uh, Roderick.
0: Susan, thank you for inviting me. It, it's oh, rather so intimidating to be uh, doing this from across the other side of the pond. It's my second ever radio interview.
1: Well, I'm rather intimidated myself because I have such high respect for you. So <laughs> maybe you're catching what I have. <laughs>
0: so thank me, you.
1: Tell me about the, what's uh, your. Facebook page on thyroid care. Um, You've got a lot of people there and you've got protocols and you mentioned different nutrients. So Tell us about what's behind this page and how you're helping people. Well, um,
0: like any doctor, um, I've been around the block a bit and I've been teaching treating people not quite for 40 years. You're making me out to be a trifle older than I am, I think. Um, However, You can't treat everybody. And what I've noticed over the years of treating people and my years of teaching is actually that the service they were receiving was diminishing. It wasn't expanding. It wasn't getting more comprehensive. You know, an illustration of that in the UK is very recently they stopped even testing for T3. Um, on on the national health system. Our, our version of, I think, is it Blue Cross that you use or something in the States?
1: Um, oh, we as, use just about anything if people are lucky yep. enough to have insurance.
0: No, yes, well NHS
1: been. is a national health service run by the government. The closest counterpart we would have is Medicare for folks over 65.
0: Well, well um, NHS is um, by and large a, a fantastic success story. Um free medicine for all, but it, it works by the numbers, it works by the averages, like all of these things, and very recently they stopped testing for T3. And I was looking at people and I realized not only were clients getting more diminished service, but also what was available for general practitioners, doctors in the UK to provide. So I just set up this Facebook group with about 20 people about 18 months ago, and in, in under 18 months, we now have over 2,000 people and um, from all around the world, and they're all experiencing the same set of phenomena. And much of this can be resolved with some pretty simple methods, pretty simple protocols, which um, your grandfather would have got from his doctor. You remember the time when doctors seemed to be immortal, that you were kind of, they delivered you, and they buried you, (laughs) and they seemed to last forever? That's the illusion
1: I still have. I mean, that's what I'm holding on to.
0: Yes, well, old school medicine um, has a lot to offer in simple, practical terms, and you can almost say that naturopathy is the medicine that doctors have forgotten it's there in the books if you choose to use it and choose to look for it. When they didn't have blood tests, when it cost a working man's wage of a week to actually get a blood test, the doctor had to be pretty sure what he was dealing with. So the signs and the symptoms, you can you can pick those up from the client if you ask the appropriate question. And questions, in fact. And that's what naturopathy is about. It's asking those questions, which for many people are, are, don't even exist anymore, the, the, the reflex action is, "Oh, I will run your bloods." But as we know, blood work is a guess. The doctor has to be have an idea of what it is he's looking for for the phlebotomist to take the blood and the blood to be screened. If you're thinking down the wrong avenue, you're going to miss it, and that's where good old fashioned naturopathic principles of actually sitting down with someone and asking basic questions and getting them to explain what their condition is for them that's where old school medicine comes in
1: wow so tell us about your approach to thyroid. You have a thyroid protocol. And also I notice on your Facebook page it's very caring for each person that's on there. They have questions and you know and you respond to them and it just seems to be very caring and for each person that's on the site and I'm impressed by that. Thank you. Uh
0: I don't know any other way to operate, to be honest, and I think that's true for many naturopaths Uh, and many doctors who actually have a hankering to get back to old school doctoring where they are not pressured by um, blood tests, by insurance, where you can go back to trading a a treatment for a chicken. the art of holding a conversation. Uh, you know, we've all been in places where the the, the, the specialists have been rude beyond belief. Um, but it, it is actually, the questions are there in in the medical books. I can give you an example of this. Sitting on my lap, I knew you were going to call, is a book I've um, borrowed, i.e. stolen, from my older sister who's... Uh, a very, very experienced midwife and a teacher of midwifery. And I got this for her as a gift when she became a professor of midwifery. And it, this is a 1904 version of a book published in 1889, written by a very interesting doctor, a professor. He was at Addenbrooke's Hospital. Um, a Manual of Nursing, Medical and Surgical by Lawrence Humphrey. And there's a quote here about the management of diabetes. And those of you who are into paleolithic diets and ketogenic diets will understand what this guy is saying. Diabetes, the management and the diet. Diet is the first and chief point to be attended to. And it is necessary to diminish or exclude saccharin and starchy material which accentuate the symptoms and keep up the activity of the disease. 1889, really, before the understanding of the use of insulin, before insulin even existed as a therapy, there is a doctor here expounding a low-sugar diet, and essentially he goes on and gives a ketogenic diet for the management of diabetes, and this was taught to all nurses. What we do in naturopathy isn't a new medicine, it's old medicine, but it's medicine that is there in the books. And this process of stabilizing blood sugar affects such things as insulin, the adrenals, the thyroid. And if you can achieve sustainable energy stability, and that is keep a level blood sugar level, keep a level cortisol level, and enable that function to operate for quite some time, you will in fact get a process where you can achieve immense change in virtually any physical mental and emotional condition the body loves a stable biochemistry and stable biochemistry requires good quality food and good quality and good quality eating practices which you'd know quite a lot about i know from your work on foods and pesticides and other such things and farming
1: But in reading uh, several of your books, diet seems to be one of the mainstays in uh, each book that you have. And we've had many guests talk about the importance of avoiding insulin resistance and insulin spikes and blood sugar spikes. I mean, each spike in blood sugar or dip in blood sugar can affect the brain adversely. So, I mean, this is very important and most everybody is saying this in addition to having organic food. So what do you see as the best diet that will underlie just most conditions that you're working on? And also you mentioned on your Thyroid Care Facebook page there are key nutrients that are fundamental to virtually everybody and every disease. So what are these and what are the diets?
0: The diet I tend to opt for will either be A paleo diet or a ketogenic diet I I do have a preference for ketogenic diets but having said that I have actually been writing about hunter-gatherer books in my diets and hunter-gatherer peoples um, as you know for about 30 years I I actually think I'm one of the earliest people to identify the hunter-gatherer type Um, I think in reality If you're sitting here listening to this radio broadcast and you're stuck in the middle of nowhere or you're stuck in a situation where um, finance is hard, money is tight, there are no good food shops. There is no farmer's market. Um, You have to operate with common sense. And so I say, Uh, A paleolithic diet or preferably a ketogenic diet. But you have to remember that these diets are clinical tools. It's tempting always to look up on the internet and think, I'll take this vitamin, I'll take that vitamin, I'll take this mineral, and I'll take that mineral. But in reality, none of these things work unless you digest them. So you've got to resolve the gut biome, which can be done simply and you've got to actually make sure you digest it. If you remember, there used to be Adele Davis who wrote books and comments with such things, you are what you eat. Yes. I, I modified that in lectures, uh, which has become a bit of a buzz phrase now, which is you are what you eat, digest, process, utilize, and excrete. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, the first thing is, the gut biome and people have been are talking about the gut biome and the gut biome is a big buzzword now, but actually go to Siberia and walk into any peasant household and somewhere they'll be sitting a great big pot of kefir and a great big pot of fermenting ve- vegetables, gurgling away, producing viable gut bacteria. Um, there's something about peasant food and there's something about the way peasants eat, irrespective of whether you want to do the Mediterranean diet or any of those, um, those diets which are created under diversity, under difficult conditions where there is not a lot of meat and not a lot of variety, rather interestingly are always diets which create a stable blood sugar level, uh, a stable blood insulin level and of course a stable cortisol level. And those three factors all affect the pancreas, the adrenals, the thyroid, the pituitary, the ovaries, menstrual cycle, testosterone levels, mood, and um, cognition, stability. So stability by any means is is what I'm on about. Um, I can give you, if you want to hear the story, um Many, many years ago when I first started in practice, a young lady turned up on my doorstep and she'd hitchhiked all the way down from Liverpool. And she lived in one of those places that are like the worst of the projects. And for some reason, she'd got my name and she wanted me to help her. And I realized she didn't even have the fare to get back home, let alone to be able to buy what she needed for her family. So... I took an afternoon off and I sat down in the park with her and we worked out a diet schedule. You're going to love this, right?
1: Um, Yes, I think I will. (laughs) This
0: is going to be lovely because I actually told her to eat Spam.
1: (laughs) Yeah, one of American favorites.
0: One of the American favorites. But what we did was um, she chopped it up with brown rice and she put it through a cheese grater. And then, um, really, really cheap greens that are almost rejected at the end of the days from, we used to have people who just sold vegetables, greengrocers, that kind of place. And she made herself and her family meals, which looked essentially like a very cheap and nasty Chinese meal, but they were incredibly cheap. They had high levels of fat, uh, and interestingly, spam is one of the few food foods that contains valine, which is a, a very interesting amino acid, um, brown rice, green vegetables, red peppers, and uh, the children became less hyperactive. Her blood sugar levels stabilized, and I never heard anything from her until about three years later when I got a postcard saying the children are doing well in school. She's doing well. She was employed and had become an assistant manager and her life had changed. But
1: Well done. That, that, I would like to point out to the listener that this is an option for people who are, don't have much money to spend. Uh, for people who can look at other options, you have to consider BPAs and the cans and the processing of spam. But this is an option for people who don't have other options.
0: This was, this was an option for somebody who was living in a ghetto who wanted to make as healthy a choice as possible but was living on um, government subsidy, had three children, no money, no opportunity it's a very, very hard to tra- trap to get out of. And in those kinds of situations, people do drift into cheaper and cheaper and cheaper foods, which, of course, are more sugar and carbohydrate laden and contain sy- synthetic fats.
1: Which is so, definitely something you don't recommend.
0: Oh, no, no. So this was the first step on actually getting her to move forward. And it worked. Stable food, stable blood sugar, stable consciousness the ability to actually think your way through a situation.
1: I notice on your thyroid page that you give the uh, audience the tools to kind of self-assess themselves. I mean, taking morning temperatures in the armpit, doing iodine tests, as opposed to the fancy doctor test. Um, and then you the next thing you, after they do this self-assessment and monitor themselves, it seems you go right into the gut by looking at different um, probiotics, etc. So it seems to be right at the forefront of your protocol once people figure out where they are is to go into treating the gut.
0: Well, I've, I've discovered in all years of practice that if people don't digest, nothing is going to happen. And it doesn't matter how much expensive nutrient you pour down your throat Um, I suppose you know if you've got the money you can live on an IV drip but if you can get the gut bacteria working and you can actually get the digestion of proteins and this is where you may need a supplement and a a good quality enzyme I always hesitate to tell people to take hydrochloric acid most people who have a a long-term endocrine problem, tend to lose the the secretion of hydrochloric acid as the zinc level goes down. And so taking an enzyme, you know, which is a tertiary stage of digestion, means that the food is actually liquefied and more adequately digested in the small intestine. And this, of course, does help the pancreas because we forget when you look at the pancreas, the pancreas is a fairly large structure within the body, yet only about 5% of it is devoted to insulin secretion, which is kind of odd because when somebody talks to you about pancreas, they say insulin. But actually the rest of it is devoted to bicarbonates, digestive enzymes and glycogen. And if you think about it, somebody comes up to you and says, you know, which is the more important thing? This little bucket the size of this little container the size of a thimble or this great big bucket, you're going to look around and think, well, actually, the big bucket must do something fairly crucial. And by supporting the enzymatic process, of course, you are taking the load off the pancreas. And and the pancreas has both the islets of Langerhans and the, the entire body of the pancreas has a mutual blood supply. It gets its energy, it gets its nutrients to regenerate itself all from the same supply. So by reducing the need of the pancreas actually to produce bicarbonate and enzymes, you are actually giving it a bit of a rest. You are augmenting the function, which of course means that you are augmenting, you are liberating some nutrition towards the islets of Langerhans for the repair and the utilisation and preparation of insulin.
1: I get the sense, I could be wrong, that you can talk to people, ask the right questions and through acute observation, get a good feeling for what's going on with them and what issues they have like thyroid, hormonal or otherwise. Whereas in the US, we don't ask questions. We might do a TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone and little else. And I get the sense that you can get a lot of information just by old fashioned um, paying attention to the patient. Well, the, when you um,
0: here here's an interesting thing. Uh, I was teaching a group of doctors the other day, and I was trying to explain to them two old fashioned things that some um, GPs used to look for. When they listened to the heartbeat, they weren't only listening for erratic heart sounds, you know, you know a triple beat or something, or, you know, squirty noises with leaking valves. They were listening for the sluggish sound, the Pause between the beat, between the lub and the dub, and the sound of the lub and the dub. Now, the heartbeat should kind of make a sound a bit like this lub dub, lub dub. Now, if the dub is louder than the lub, so you've got a lub dub, that means the mitral valve is slamming shut, and that's usually down to something going on with the adrenal function. And the adrenal function is in sympathetic mode, slight panic, and it's producing adrenaline and it's slamming the valve shut in preparation for you to run away from the tiger. It's a hunter-gatherer mechanism, and the sound between the beats should be very, very crisp. There should actually be identifiable noise, so it shouldn't, it's lub-dub. There is a pause. It shouldn't be lub-dub. It shouldn't be one noise. And I pulled out my um, stethoscope, and I stuck it on somebody's heart, and they said, well, we don't do this now. (laughs) Nobody's really taught me. And uh, I was, to say, at least surprised. And then I realized, hang on, um, I'm an old school doctor. I'm in my 60s. You know, I'm moving on. (laughs) And my, my, my fundamental exam skills actually predate many as most properly trained naturopaths, and there's a lot of people who go around and say they are naturopaths, but they're really more nutritionists, um, the, the fundamental skills that I learned um, predate a lot of the tests that existed. It's a bit like trying to explain to a child today um, a world without mobile phone and or computer and or internet and email and of course there aren't any fax machines and you say fax machine and they say what's one of those so there are a lot of old-fashioned examinations that are there that in the books that are so simple to learn that you can pick up pdr pupil dilation reflex um, looking at such things as the whites of the eyes in sclerology and seeing what's going on an interesting thing about sclerology is It doesn't matter which system you use and you go around the world, every single natural medical system in the world uses the white of the eye as a form of diagnosis and a form of observation of what's going on. And they have an 80% accordance across the entire planet. You had me
1: nailed across the room. I mean, before I even said hello, (laughs) you gave me my diagnosis almost. So uh, there's something very powerful about this sclerology. Uh, You know, I mean, it's almost before, hi, how are you? Oh, you've got blah, blah. Okay. (laughs) Quite impressed. Oh, well. I mean, all my secrets are out now. <laughs>
0: Not all of them. Do you want me to review a few more? <laughs> oh, let's keep that for another time. No, show. no, let's keep that for another time. Okay. But Okay, um,
1: so there are these uh, things that you can do very quickly, but... Uh, modern medicine doesn't seem to have the time for that, and most people get lab tests. In the U.S., they only get the thyroid-stimulating hormone test, whereas we know the thyroid is a very complicated process. You're converting what's called T4 to T3, and you need a lot of supplements for that. And you need, like, iron and selenium and zinc for that and various things get in the way. You can't have too many thyroid globulins because that hogs them up. Antibodies are a huge issue. Reverse T3 affected by the diet is a huge issue. So this seems very complicated. So what test would you recommend that the listener asks their provider to give concerning well, thyroid? I, I would actually say to the listener
0: do a few s- straightforward things. The first thing is learn how to make your own pre- prebiotics. You don't have to become one of these people who makes thousands of different fermented foods. Let's face it, nobody wants the smell of rotting vegetables in the kitchen. Um, but learn how to make something like a probiotic yogurt, a uh, kefir. It's really, really cheap. All you need is a big container of milk, whole fat, organic if you can get it. If you can't, fine some culture, a big glass jar, and a couple of days, you're making your own probiotic. And taking about 250 to 400 mils of that a day will begin to augment the gut biome. Fancy word, gut bacteria, the bits that actually break down your food. Now, the gut bacteria are pretty key in the conversion of T4 to T3. So... Even if you're just taking um, straightforward thyroxine, straightforward levothyroxine, whatever make, you're going to need good gut bacteria to enable the conversion to happen. And it, here's something that um, doctors forget. They, get, they provide T4, but T4 is a pro-hormone. It's not actually the active hormone. And as a pro-hormone, it needs converting into T3. Now, here's a secret about using your own kefir from cow's milk. Thyroid hormone itself is actually made out of uh, an amino acid called L-tyrosine, and it's also made out of iodine. Now, one of the best sources of L-tyrosine can be found in kefir-based yogurt. So when you're doing that and you've got a thyroid already issue, already you are providing the nutrient for the thyroid to begin to actually make your own thyroid hormone. Now, couple that with a stable diet, which is stabilizing your blood sugar levels, um, a ketogenic diet, a hunter-gatherer diet of some kind, what you're beginning to get is you get a level insulin level. So your cortisol goes down and the receptor sites, the place where the hormones actually do the work, become free. And so even if you're running on the minimum of hormone, you, that hormone has more availability to function. So digestive enzymes, a good quality make, as good as you can get, probiotic yogurt. Grow your own. It's cheap. And that's the thing. I'm all for cheapness. So am I. And, and we then... And a stable diet, a diet as stable as you can get. And it's not that boring. It can actually be quite fun. And here's the thing. If you've got a husband with a, you know, a prostatic issue, a type 2 diabetes issue, he will love you forever if he comes down in the morning... And, uh, God, this is getting um, a bit gender-specific. If you have a partner, <laughs> give, them, yeah, give them give them bacon and eggs for breakfast. Right? Um, very, very stable. Very, very glycemic stable. Really, really good quality fats, et cetera, et cetera. And the more protein you pack in at breakfast of course and the more fats you pack in at breakfast the less carbohydrate you will eat during the day the more stable your blood sugar level will be and the less fat you will actually generate from that carbohydrate
1: yeah if you're interested in recipes folks uh uh, uh, roderick has written a book adam and eve diet where he includes some recipes and some of uh, Natasha Campbell McBride's books, who's also going to be on our show, uh, you know, has some very good recipes and how to make kefir and very healthy, yummy, wonderful things. Now, what about kombucha? Does that have any? Um, I mean, it's, the kombucha, how is that? Um, kombucha works.
0: Um, fermented vegetables work. They all provide a form of gut bacteria. But we are a society that is used to milk and it's sometimes easier to go down the route that you know than rather than actually somebody sitting there and you're saying good morning i've got your breakfast 19 strange fermented vegetables from the outer reaches of tibet <laughs> and, and somebody's looking at this green and purple mass which is bumbling away in the jar and thinking to themselves really um i try to keep people within their comfort zone and Actually, if you're going for the ketogenic diet, you'd be better off reading my book, um, The Science of Aging Backwards, Regeneration X, because that has far more ketogenic recipes, which I I, I would – and that's the book I advise if you have a thyroid problem. Um, now, you'll get some websites saying, oh, ketogenic diets and thyroid are inefficient, not very good – well, here's a funny thing about ketogenic diets. When you're on a ketogenic diet, it takes far less enzyme chains to convert fats into energy. I think it's three or four than it does actually to convert sugars into energy in the, in the mitochondria. That's up in the 20s. So you're looking at something that is for five times more efficient because you're body is now four or five times more efficient going right down to the mitochondria of course you actually need less thyroid hormone because you're not people forget that the thyroid hormone drives everything it also drives autoimmune conditions it also drives inflammatory response ketogenic diets are the most powerful diets in the process of lowering autoimmune conditions and response and there's a very excellent diet book book by elaine Cantin, an american author called the Cantin diet which is well well worth looking at um for the effects of ketogenic diets in all manners of ill health
1: yeah sugar for example uh Eats up our magnesium and our chromium, and it makes us mineral uh, deficient. Uh, we have uh, several shows uh, on this on this sh- uh, podcast on the gut, and we, that you can look up one on the ketogenic diet with Dominic D'Agostino. And so we've got a lot of other information on the site. Um, what about the role of iodine in thyroid? That's I've heard is uh, controversial, especially right. with Hashimoto's.
0: Well. If you go back to looking at the work of Brownstein and Flechas, um, they've done a lot of work on this. And what they realized by using standard allopathic testing methods, they realized that, yes, the TSH does go up. It goes up wildly. But then there's an interesting thing. It comes down. Now, we know that iodine is part of the feedback mechanism. And we also know that one of the symptoms of lack of iodine, of course, is autoimmune problems. Now, if you're following the protocol and you have started doing the gut bacteria, so you're getting better conversion and you are in ketosis, ketosis will pull down. Antibodies. I've taken, I've had a client who had an antibody reading of 900 and took it down to zero within the course of four months on a ketogenic diet, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, And of course, if you actually are not getting the antibodies, you are in remission from the Hashimoto's. And so even when you take the iodine, you don't get. The TSH rocketing through the sky. But bearing in mind it's a temporary thing and it comes back down. Iodine is part of the feedback mechanism. TSH is not a problem. It's an indicator. TSH is um, a combination of the speedometer on your car and the accelerator pedal. The TSH goes up when the body says, please give me more thyroid hormone. That's what it does. TSH doesn't release it. It says, please give me more thyroid hormone. More thyroid hormone needed. More thyroid hormone needed. And of course, if you've had an autoimmune condition, that autoimmune condition will have had effects throughout your body. Your body going to do a massive restructuring. And that's what goes on. But yes, uh, iodine, Lugol's iodine, and it has to be Lugol's, um, in, you know, in all the years of practice um, I haven't come across anything quite as effective as Lugol's some people use nascent iodine, again Lugol's iodine is cheap you can be so cheap you can actually make it yourself uh, it's really, you can go into a shop that sells the chemicals to make uh, to put in fish tanks um, and you can make Lugol's iodine yourself, it's so cheap, and it is an antiviral, an antifungal, an antibacterial, an antiparasita. It has a few other properties. Um, have you done uh, a program on interstitial cystitis? No. Right. Well, you know that mysterious cystitis that women suffer from, and they keep going to the doctors, and the doctor keeps doing um, urine tests and says, no, there is no. There is absolutely no bacterial infection of any kind that I find, but I'm going to give you antibiotics anyway. And it is literally a sensation of when they urinate that they are urinating broken glass. It is possibly one of the most painful things you can get. Well, when you have enough urine and when you have enough iodine in the body, um. You excrete it; you throw it away. It would appear that really we're not designed to hold on to iodine, rather that um, from you know being in the womb, from evolving in the sea, and actually evolving as animals on the on the beach, which is possibly why everybody wants to go to California. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting back to their hunter-gatherer roots. Um, we lived on seaweed, we lived on shellfish, so we lived on a high levels of EPA. High levels of iodine and trace minerals, chromium, manganese, etc. etc. Um, obviously, sodium, potassium coming along because we're in salt, and sea vegetables have an incredibly high level of antioxidants. And we urinate out excess iodine. And of course, once the iodine levels are appropriate and you begin to urinate excess iodine, all the time you're pushing through your kidneys an antibiotic and an antiviral. You're pushing it through your bladder, an antibiotic and an antiviral. You're pushing it through the urinary tract, an antibiotic and antiviral. And the great thing about iodine is it absorbs through epithelial membranes. It absorbs through those membranes. So actually, it sterilizes those membranes. And I've had considerable success on, with women who have been taking, and men because this is a, can be a problem for men, uh, masses of antibiotics and various things and just a few drops of 15% Lugol's iodine a day in water over a couple of months and maintaining it and the cystitis goes away absolutely.
1: Well, I mean, in Lynn Farrow's, Lynn Farrow's book on the iodine crisis, she uh, uh, connects iodine with helping all sorts of things from psoriasis, brain fog, ovarian problems, heart arrhythmias, infections, fertility, resistance to cold, etc. And so it sounds like uh, the iodine, which I guess used to be used in the past a lot more and seemed to kind of drop out of our armatarium, has got a lot of health benefits. <laughs>
0: undoubtedly so it is one of the most amazing nutrients it's one of it's one of the minerals of creation it's one of the things that was there when the universe was created the big bang so it's part of us and part of what we need um iodine in the victorian times when they started using it they used it in really 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 heroic doses it was um incredibly successful and even up until re- recently it was still used in uh, military dressings and um,
1: I've got some 1946 iodine uh, that the embassy gave me overseas that we use for you know for our water I mean the embassy gave it out to foreign service people 1946 yep. iodine yeah Yep. and
0: it'll sterilize water, it'll sterilize carts, and basically every home should have a spray can of iodine around just to, you know, if it moves, spray it with iodine.
1: (laughs) Well, especially with, uh, you know, the uh, nuclear problem that they had in Japan and that seeps over toward the United States, we couldn't get iodine. But I also want to warn the listeners that uh, in the same column of the chemical periodic chart, bromine, (laughs) chlorine, and fluorine can interfere with the work of iodine and substitute for it. And bromine folks are putting in a lot of our food, it's in our pills, it's in our bread, it's in flame retardants and kids clothes. This stuff is very toxic and not legal in many countries, but in the US they sure use a lot of it. Chlorine's in pools, and fluorine, they just throw in all the U.S. water because, they, you know, the aluminum industry doesn't know what else to do with it. And so you've got to be careful to avoid exposure to fluorine, chlorine, or bromide because that affects your um, functioning uh, iodine levels.
0: And have you ever wondered where, um, you know, you buy a wonderful brand-new car? And you drive oh, down the it road.
1: bromide, yeah. Oil yes, oil. and, and
0: what's, the, what's the first thing the three year old does when they're sitting on the back seat become violently ill and throws up all over it? And father is awfully annoyed. And actually, what they're suffering from is bromine poisoning um, because they're sitting in a saturated atmosphere of these fire retardant chemicals. Um, so there is an argument, ladies and gentlemen, for having a very old muscle car, right? <laughs> I'll let you sort that one out with your partner.
1: (laughs) Well, that goes along with my concept of wanting to be cheap. Another question (laughs) that comes to me is Dr. Sarah Myhill, as well as the functional medicine movement, they recommend looking at adrenals first and saying that, well, you can't really stabilize your thyroid until you stabilize your adrenals. Mm, So, what's your view on that?
0: Right. As you know, I know Sarah, and we argue about that one. And I argue about this one because you have to remember that the thyroid provides the motivating energy for every single cellular system in the body, except I believe it's the retina and the spleen. Now, this means that when the adrenals are exhausted, it is the thyroid that is providing the energy for the mitochondria for regeneration. So my argument is always stable blood sugar level which is easy to achieve because you can do that on a day-to-day basis by diet. And as I was trying to emphasize with the lady with the of spam, it doesn't have to be expensive. It can be done if you're on a really tight budget. Um, stable blood sugar level and then treat the thyroid. But if we, we look at it this way, stable blood sugar level, okay. Gut biome, that's a pint of milk a day. Um, iodine That that's going to cost you about a cent a day like iodine is so ch- cheap about $30 will buy you a year supply of Lugol's iodine $30 if you go make it yourself will buy you about 10 years supply <laughs> because it never goes off as long as it's stored in a dark bottle so you're, you're talking about a management system that you can do for, you know, a couple of dollars a day. Uh, and when you consider how much people pe- money people are paying on nutrients and how much they're paying for antibiotics, even if they're buying generics, um, the practical option when you're faced with a thyroid problem, when you're faced with diabetes, when you're faced with de- clinical depression, when you're faced with adrenal function, if you can get that blood sugar level stable, if you can get the insulin level stable, you are beginning to affect the entire endocrine system. Then work on your thyroid, but do find out whether it is actually your thyroid. And, of course, iodine pushes out the toxins you were, ma- you were talking about. You know, it's not beyond reason. I mean, there are some places in the world um, where there is literally no iodine and the goiter belt. Uh, in the States and several areas of the UK is a very very iodine deficient and There's a possibility with some people that half the thyroid hormone they're making is not actually made out of Iodine in the first place. They're making out of bromine fluorine and chlorine scary the body is it scary the body's trying to do something but Those are the chemicals in abundance, so they're fitting in the gap. But really, um, get the iodine back in and you begin to push those chemicals out. But the the scariest statistic I I read is that um, uh, children who have their teeth painted with iodine use iodine toothpaste, uh, sorry, with fluoride, use fluoride toothpaste and live in areas where the water is being fluoridated are five or six times sometimes over toxicity during the day. Uh, that is very, very scary.
1: Oh, there's so many scary things that, uh, and it just doesn't seem like the government's listening to us. Uh, people I've had on the show who've been working in the government sector says the government's, in the U.S., the government's not listening.
0: I, I think the, 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 the process has to be grassroots, and it's literally vote with your feet. If you're not happy with it, move out of the system do what we are doing, do what we're advocating. And this this is to say, I'm not against allopathic medicine. Um, If you've got tuberculosis, go and see your GP and get streptomycin. It will kill the tuberculosis. Allopathic medicine is a primary cause if you've had a car wreck, if you've got a really violent infection that threatens to kill everyone around you. That's what it's there for. But the long-term care It's not good at long-term care for these kind of conditions.
1: And that's why we have the show, and that's why you do what you do. We're trying to help people help themselves negotiate all this. Yep, absolutely. Now, you wrote a book on fat and menopause. So what is the role of fat in menopause and osteoporosis? I mean, you know, I mean, the ketogenic diet has a lot of protein, but as we know, if you eat a lot of protein without the fat, it can raise your insulin levels and kind of counteract what you're trying to do. So fat, I imagine, is very important in this picture, and if you're going to eat a lot of organic protein, you should have fat with it. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Ironically.
0: The cheaper cuts of meat are the healthier cuts of meat, and the really expensive ones that you would um, <clears throat> be treated to by somebody who's taking you out to a restaurant are the ones actually you should be giving to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, the, 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 the fats are crucial. Uh, they're an energy source. Um, they're part of, you know, hormones are made of fat. You know, what is your brain made of? Your brain is actually made of fats. You need fats for a multiplicity of hormonal and, and neutral tra- nu- nutritional transport mechanisms. And fats have this wonderful thing. You know, we've all done it. Okay. You've been walking through a supermarket. And there is that big box of Krispy Kreme donuts.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right, okay. Yeah.
0: I'm holding my hand up here and looking guilty, right? Yeah. And um, I haven't done it recently. And you look at one of those and you think, all right, it costs so much for one and so much for six. I'll treat my friends to those. So you go home and you eat one and you end up eating six. I love it. Yes, yeah, and the next day you wake up with a hangover. But the thing is, once you've started eating one, you can't stop them because they don't make you feel full. Yeah, when you look at the weight of it and how much volume there is, and if you actually weigh it, you've eaten a phenomenal amount. Sugars and starches don't create the sensation of fullness fats create the sensation of fullness and you mentioned the difference between ketogenic diets and high protein diets ketogenic diets are high fat moderate protein low carbohydrate by and large grain free diets and When people have been on them for a month or two, what happens is that they start off religiously having three meals and snacks. They go down to having a breakfast, and that's usually the breakfast shifts to about 11 o'clock. And then they don't want to eat anything until they get home. They just go straight through the day, happy, content, mind-focused, and they get to the other end of the day and they think, yeah, I'll eat something now. It's about 7 o'clock. But it's not a particularly large meal. The the, the, the desire to eat actually goes down. So the volume goes down as well. And, and this is fantastic in things like weight loss and diabetes, type 2. Um,
1: yeah, so. I would like to confirm that because I somehow or other accidentally, Sarah Myhills ended up on a high-fat, on this diet. And I've gone 24 hours. Oh, I forgot to eat. I'm getting weak. I better get something. So it does happen. And believe me, I love food. I just you know, I just fantasize about just being involved with a lot of food. So it does seem to work, folks.
0: Thank you. So any other questions? Because I, I kind of see that we're getting close to time here.
1: Well, it's at least a, a four or five minutes, so I want to give what's best for the audience and what you'd like to communicate to them. I mean, you've given us, I mean, the old-fashioned approach of the doctor, as I imagined, in the 1800s and early 1900s. I mean, Marcus Welby, MD, I mean, we all want that. We all want somebody that's going to be working with us, but, you know, as, until we find that particular person, uh, what steps can we take on our own? Um, What would you like to share with the audience?
0: Obviously, if you have a thyroid condition, I have the thyroid care group on Facebook. And there's a little questionnaire to make sure you actually do have a, a thyroid condition that you have to answer to join. And the members there and the admins are very, very free with their time and free with their advice. And you can get an awful lot of support. I think the key is stable blood sugar level. Absolutely. Get the iodine back in the system, begin pushing out those poisons, begin pushing out those toxins, get your gut biome working. If you have a history of things like stomach ulcers and you're on these anti-acid drugs, um, interestingly, it is known that low iodine levels is associated with... um, the various um, levels of um, what is considered to be high acidity in the digestive tract um, and and reflux, but it's not actually, that is usually fermentation, and goes away once the iodine level comes up. But iodine level has, iodine like all medications, it is a medication, it's not a toy, has to be treated with respect, so you do it slowly, slowly. And very slow, but you have to do these things consistently. And this is a this is a thing about old school medicine. It's not a one hit wonder. Um, my grandparents. I never met my grandparents. They died at the beginning of the Second World War through tuberculosis. And it's funny to think of people dying of tuberculosis now. Um, and we used to. There used to be vast sanatoriums for people with tuberculosis streptomycin came along, one of those wonderful antibiotics, and killed tuberculosis. I now get, I've had cases of uh, young kids who've decided to do a gap year and spent a year wandering around some plague pit, you know, in the jungle. And have come back with tuberculosis. And I've picked it up and I've sent them off and they've had antibiotics. And, oh, they've been told, take these, you'll be better in a week for a disease that used to kill people. Um, So when you're dealing with old fashioned medicine when they dealt with things like tuberculosis they had a long term view and you have to have a long term view of yourself just like investing you're investing in your own health and you're thinking actually I'm not investing for tomorrow I'm not investing for the day after I'm investing for the fact that when I'm 90 I want to be run over by a Bus, because I stopped in the middle of the street to take my stiletto heels off. Because, <laughs> uh, you wear right, stiletto because, heels? Oh, all the time. No, oh, but okay. you know that 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 view of yourself—that you will still be a functioning person, a person who has the same expectancy of themselves when they're thirty-five, 35, 40 as they will have ninety. Right? You know, I got knocked over by a bus because I was running across the road to catch it. How old were you, madam? 96. That's the view of yourself you should have. And so when you're going in for the naturopathic process, it's a long game, but it's a game that says, okay, I'm 66 and I'm going walking. I've decided to walk the Appalachian Trail. I've read the book. I've seen the film. I'm going to walk the trail. Uh, I'm doing this because my other friends... Uh, are on oxygen, or they've got cardiovascular problems, or they've got acute rheumatism in their joints. What's wrong with me? I don't have any of them. Um, uh, they're diabetic. I'm. I've decided to go to Mexico to go to some of those amazing temples. I'm 76. My friends can't come because they've got cancer, because they've got cardiovascular failure. Um, when you go in for the naturopathic process, it's not just the here and now. It's the process of realizing, I have a life plan here. That And of course, you're a 76-year-old who can go and visit the temples in Mexico because you're not having to buy half a dozen medications, which mm. is actually costing you $300 a month.
1: Yeah.
0: You're doing something else, which is costing you $5. Mm. I
1: like it. Uh, yep. What you see is the role of gluten or is it just a mad, uh, an individual thing if people are sensitive to it or not?
0: Rather interestingly, when you've been on the ketogenic diet for a while and you've got the gut bacteria working, people who have, and I say a while, say four or five minutes, people who go out to dinner and find they've eaten a high-gluten meal, nothing happens. And once you've got back your correctly working immune system and the immune system actually has worked out worked out what it can do and can't do you tend to lose these random reactions to foods
1: but we've you got like get one that. and a half minutes left are there any final words or if you i mean uh, give the referral to your thyroid group or any other place you'd like to refer them
0: um stop the thyroid madness is a good place and good old dr atkins Um, God bless him, has got a lot of free information if you're going into ketogenic diets in the USA and resources. Um, And be healthy and vote with your feet. There are things you can do that your GP doesn't know about. Find them out and do them.
1: Okay, well, I want to thank you. This is very inspiring uh, how we can Take back our health. Occupy health. So I advise the listener, go check on uh, some of Roderick's materials. Go to his Facebook page. Do your own research. Share this with others, with your uh, clinician, physician, etc. so you can help yourself, you can help others, and above all, be well. we got the power to change the world. Thank you for listening.